Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders into centralized finance, Web3, and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by Ethan and Eric Parker, co-founders of GiddyUp, the Web3 wallet. Thanks for being here on the show with us today, guys. How's everything going? Good, good, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Happy that y'all are here. And where are y'all based exactly with the name like Giddy Up? Well, my shirt says Giddy Up, but the name of the company is Giddy, but we're in Utah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm in Texas. So this is, you know, uh, of course, you would be on Crypto Texans podcast with a name like Giddy. It's, it's exactly appropriate. So what is y'all's background? Like, how did the two of y'all... Your brothers, obviously. How did y'all get into crypto? Yeah, uh, yeah. So my career kind of started off in product design. I was studying industrial design at Arizona State, and then I switched to a very related major, uh, accounting. <laughs> and then uh, I decided as soon as I graduated that it was time to learn computer science and mobile apps. So uh, that's kind of my ed- college education, anyway. And then I, I worked at a company called Outlet. They did baby. Uh, heart rate and oxygen monitoring while they sleep. Company went public last year. It was a really fun job. And then along the way, I've um, started and sold a couple of kind of small bootstrapped consumer products. And then the, the latest one was a, an app for money.com, kind of a more B2B SaaS deal. And then, but as far as crypto goes, um, you know, it's like, I think 2012 when we were roommates in college, Eric had this little minor thing that like USB stick hooked up to his computer. I was like, what the heck is that? But then in 2017, I got to the point where, you know, I was, I was stringing together 30 GPUs and mining Ethereum and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of like my intro to crypto. Yeah. Little background, I guess, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I did computer science in, in school. So I've been an iOS developer for, for most of my career. My last job was at Walmart doing their e-commerce app. So it's kind of fun. I was there when we had the, the big PS5 event. So like historic levels of single minute traffic on the, on the mobile apps. It's kind of a crazy thing. But um, yeah, so I got into crypto. Like you said, I started mining Bitcoin um, like back in 2012. And I only really did it because I liked building computers. I thought it was pretty fun to, to get into this new interesting thing where it's worth a little something. And I, what, what I mean by that is I was one of these people who lost hard drives <laughs> that had my private keys on them. And uh, it didn't really hit me until, you know, obviously later, like when Bitcoin hit like $35 I'm just like, son of a, I can't believe this. So, um, got to do it again, you know, mining Ethereum around 2016 or so. And then, uh, again in, uh, around 2019, 2020 built more, built more miners and more computers. And that, that's when I kind of really got into DeFi being a software guy myself. I realized like, holy crap, you can write applications and deploy, deploy them on the blockchain. Like this is crazy. This is like earth shattering stuff. So I was a little bit late to the game in terms of like writing my own DeFi code. I know, you know, it obviously came out with, with Ethereum and some a little bit before that, but, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like what really hooked me was getting, going from mining just Ethereum to starting to write some of my own applications on the Ethereum uh, network on Binance smart chain. And, uh, yeah, so it, it went from kind of a hobby building computers to just a complete obsession, like not sleeping just because I needed to get on these coin launches and stuff like that. So, uh, yep, background in software and just obviously hugely obsessed with DeFi, which kind of uh, led us here. That's awesome. That's that's a great story. So no luck in finding those old hard drives with Bitcoin on them. Oh, no way. No way. They're they're super gone. Uh, we uh, I, I was I was a newly married, you know, college student at the time. And uh you know, we, I would just literally toss them out as we moved. And, uh, yeah, there's absolutely no hope. <laughs> and, and honestly, there's, there wasn't that many, uh, Bitcoins on them, like enough to care about, but yeah, it is what it is. You can't, you can't think about that stuff too much. Yeah. I think everybody has a story of, of losing, you know, several Bitcoin or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And so both of y'all are developers or no, like can both of y'all write code in Solidity? Uh, so I, I have a lot more experience in that. I've I've done professional software development more recently than, than Ethan has. But both of us did uh, iOS development, though, in our careers. Oh, that's really that's really exciting. And that kind of just leads us into, you know, this app that y'all have been building, this Web3 app, uh, Giddy, not Giddy Up, but Giddy. And so what is <laughs> the Giddy? Giddy app? <laughs> Giddy app. I like that one, too. Uh, yeah. So what what is Giddy? Uh, what y'all's TLDR on the app? Yeah, um, there's a couple ways of looking at it. It's crypto for grandma. 
it's retail DeFi, it's blockchain for the masses. Um, we are trying to solve the problem of usability in DeFi. And that gets broken down into a couple things. There's security, there's ease of use, there's price to play. Um, there's a lot of things that go on in DeFi land that are just very difficult for most people to do. And um, so, so yeah, the app, the app we're building is really a one-stop shop. It's a native mobile app where you, you can manage your private key. It's, it's a non-custodial recoverable private key. You can manage your fiat natively in the app, so you can connect up to your bank account, go back and forth, and you can manage all of your positions, your swaps and stakes, uh, and track their price all in a, in a native mobile app. So really the goal is to bring more people into DeFi who otherwise couldn't access it because it was just too difficult, and, and doing that with technology. Building our own app, building our own infrastructure and code, and obviously we're you know standing on the shoulders of giants here. There's a lot of work that went on, went into this before us, but um, the way that we're tackling this is by innovating, building new systems, building up all of this infrastructure so that we can actually support the user experience that we're looking to do. Yeah, and I actually have the Giddy app. I've downloaded it, the beta version, I guess, and I've got my. I got my free giddy coin because of that. Yes, sir. So much obliged. <laughs> um, so, but where does the name come from? Giddy. Yeah, good question. So, uh, for anyone who's started a company before or tried to name a product, uh, it's hard. Uh, you, we went over a lot of different names, a lot of different pathways. And one thing that kept coming up is like, you know, we're from Utah. Our, our, all, our whole founding team has lived here for a long time, gone to college here, even if we you know, grew up somewhere else. And so we're like, we, we feel good about something that, that says, hey, like we're, we're from the Southwest. We're from the desert. And so as we're going through a bunch of different names and, and running them past legal and everything and trying to see what, you know, what domains were available, all that kind of thing, we really liked Giddy because it kind of, it's, you know, the Giddy Up thing is just a very natural consequence of being called Giddy which is very like, you know, cowboy, Western, all that. But it's also um, kind of like excited and, you know, like uh, we're, we're pretty enthusiastic people that don't take ourselves terribly seriously. So we, that part really resonated with us. Yeah, we, we started, you know, the naming process really thinking about how to brand it and what you can put a brand on, right? And um, we really wanted to like, we liked Giddy a lot because it conveys this, um, notion of like an open frontier you know there's there's land you can claim um you can kind of like tame these uh these wild forces to make it your own so there's there's a lot of reasons that that we kind of ended up going with this one but we really identified with the the, the, the notion that you can go like you know tame the tame the wild frontier which more or less is that that's been crypto for the last couple of years especially DeFi. um there's been a lot of craziness going on so the the the, the idea that you can you know grab some of it for yourself is kind of a is, is one that definitely we vibe with yeah i like what you said there taming the wild frontier of crypto because it really is wild and there's a lot of technological hurdles that you really have to get into if you really want to dive in deep and use DeFi, but y'all are making that a lot easier with this app. And, you know, I guess like as y'all are developing this app, like what do you feel like are some of the major hurdles that we're running into as an industry when it comes to web three adoption? And like you said, you're making, you're making this app for grandmas, right? So, yeah. Um, I, so, so, this whole question, this whole topic is really is well represented by the founding story of this company, which is um, so around 2020, 2021 or so is when I really got into DeFi really heavy. I figured it out. I was I'm writing my own tokens. I'm, I'm in these token launches and I got lucky a couple times. I tried to get some of my friends into it, you know, Ethan, some other people. And at the time, they're just like, ah, I, I don't know. It's too hard. I don't want to think about it. But so, so I was like, all right, fine. Went back to, to, to do my thing. And I got really lucky on this one project, this, this token launch. And I'm like, dude, I just like 18 X to my money. And he's like, Oh, what? <laughs> How? And uh, obviously that piques people's interest. And it's like, okay, I'm interested now. So I, I, I teach a couple people how to do it the hard way. And of course it's hard. Of course we get out, we get rugged on some projects. Uh, 
lessons, lessons, hard lessons learned for sure. But around that time I was in this, um, there's, there's another Utah startup called volley, which shout out to volley. We love, we love Utah startups. Um, it's like a video messaging app for, for, for professionals. So I was on there talking to a bunch of people about crypto stuff in general. And I was totally nerding out about impermanent loss, like explaining all these different formulas and like how it works and how you strategize around it. And someone reached out to me and they're just like, Hey, you, sounds like you might know what you're talking about. Like, can we chat for a second? Turns out this, this person had lost a bunch of money in a bad migration on the Binance smart chain. I, I don't know if you remember Panther swap or not, but, um, he, <laughs> he had a bunch of money staked and, um, they, they migrated away from these smart contracts and completely changed their UI without really giving him an opportunity to go get his money out. So I had to get in there. I had to go look at the ABI of their contracts. I had to call some functions, get it all out. So for, you know, for me having that experience, I could go help him in that way. But for any regular human out there who doesn't have the time to literally become a computer scientist, like a blockchain expert, you're, you're toast. You're out of luck. So I helped him recover that money. It was, it was just fun for me. Like, it's not like I was like, yeah, I'll do it for a whole bunch of, you know, commission. I just kind of, it was just fun. So he told me, he's like, you know, I have a bunch of people that know that I'm doing this DeFi thing. I have a lot of friends that are interested in getting crazy, crazy yield. And let's, let's figure out a way to get it to them. So I'm like, okay, sure. So this company, it actually started as Zoom conference coaching. Like we'd get on a video call with someone and teach them how to click all the buttons in MetaMask and do all the KYC stuff in Binance and like do it the hard way. And every single time, inevitably, we would, we would hear can you just do this for me? Like this sucks. <laughs> this is way too hard. Can I just give you money and you'll do it for me? And we're like, boy, okay, we're, we're entrepreneurial, you know, like we both had our own little side projects here and there. So we're like, okay, well, let's figure this out. And so we, we start talking to legal you know, lawyers and kind of brainstorming. And one of the early ideas we actually tried was, okay, you can, you can do like a hedge fund. You can do a crypto hedge fund, right? If you only get accredited investors, you can invest money on their behalf. And that's a way to do it legally. And then we're just like, man, yeah, like there's an opportunity there, obviously, and we gave it a shot, but it doesn't really jive. It doesn't really coincide with what I believe, like what drives me, what philosophically about the power of DeFi and the blockchain. You have to be accredited. You basically, you have to already be rich to legally be allowed to take on that much risk, right? In, in a Reg D exempt hedge fund, there's really only a small amount of people that can play. So we're just like, man, I, I don't like this. Like philosophically, I want to help more people. And then eventually the light bulb came on, clicked. It's like, dude, we're software guys. Like, let's build an app. <laughs> let's figure this out. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit cliche to say, but at, it's, at the time we were thinking like, dude, if we could just do what Robinhood did for stock trading, if we can do that for DeFi, imagine the implications here. So, so, so Robinhood comes on the scene. Everybody who was more or less millennial age, you know, back in 2015, 15, um, 14, 15, 14, 15, how, whenever, whenever you could get first get the app, you've never bought a stock because it's expensive. It's scary. You know, there, there's all these trading commissions. You don't know what's going to go up and down. There's all these options and derivatives. Like it's this huge mess, but Robinhood comes on the scene and they're just like, look, Download the app, put in your bank account, and and just like buy a, a fractional share of Apple. Just like it's easy, right? So this whole notion of you meet people where they are at a native mobile app, you take out a lot of the risk and a lot of the the confusion by making it simple, educating people, giving them options of spending a little bit of money. They obviously took out the the, the, the trading commissions. That was huge. But there's so many things that Robinhood did exactly right and timed it correctly and had a beautiful UI that we're just like, if we can emulate that, there's so much power behind the blockchain, behind DeFi, that like, let's let's just try to capture lightning in a bottle again. So that's that's really where um, the inspiration and kind of the, 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 you know, the passion comes from is like, there's so much opportunity out there, generally speaking. DeFi really is, an, it's this chance to, to capture some of the upside for yourself, right? Like if you're not already uber rich, you can't take as many chances and earn as much yield as rich people. But, but the blockchain DeFi, it, it offers an opportunity to do that. So how do we get there? And, um, I guess this is, this, we're a little bit far away from the original question, which is like what exactly we're trying to solve, but this all plays into it because how in the world do you make an app that's that simple, right? Dealing with private keys, it's hard. Dealing with fiat is hard. Dealing, know, knowing which protocols are good is hard. 
the actual act of swapping and trading and staking and keeping track of your portfolio is hard. So every single one of these things needed to be built in a way that's extensible, that's automatic, that just works, that you can put a good UX behind. And um, yeah, so th- this, this whole thing got started with just like, this is so hard, how do we scale it? And the answer is, is you know, tech, build a really, really good platform. Yeah, I think that's a great founding story. And yeah, so y'all are using, I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a self-custody app, right? And I, I would also imagine that the management of seed phrases or the management of private keys would also be something that you were trying to help your friends with quite a bit. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. How are y'all, yeah. How are y'all addressing that issue in the within the Giddy app? Yeah, and your and your last question made me think of uh, you know custodianship most certainly. So you you look at the last few months and you're like, well, you know, didn't somebody already make DeFi really easy? Wasn't that Celsius? <laughs> didn't they make it really easy? It's like, well, yeah, it's easy to put money on that platform. It's also easy for them to not tell you what they're doing with that money and for stuff to crash and for you not never be able to take your money back out. All very easy. Um, the, obviously, the problem there is custodianship. So. Custodial apps, super easy to use, um, huge, massive, terrible risks under the covers. So what about non-custodial apps? Well, you know, there, there are a few of them out there. Obviously, the, the, the elephant in the room is MetaMask. But what's the problem with MetaMask? Well, it's a seed phrase. Um, to, to get my put on my, like, VC jargon hat, <laughs> I like to argue that MetaMask has reached its TAM. The total, addre- total addressable market for a seed phrase is not big. It's not something that most people should be doing and handling on their own. You really need to be like a cybersecurity professional to understand the implications of what a seed phrase is and how to safeguard it and what to do. So what we've built at Giddy is um, proprietary tech that has taken the issue of custodianship and made it ready for mainstream. This is one of the most important things that we've built over the last year. So we have the first native mobile non-custodial experience with a recoverable private key. And so we don't have a seed phrase when you first come into Giddy. And that's the biggest difference that you'll find between us and anything else in the market. So we're as easy as custodial apps, but we are in fact non-custodial. And and to take it to extremes, if the user wanted to access their private key, their raw private key on our platform, they can. They can do that at any moment if they want, if they really want to. Yeah, so so we can we can dig into it however much you want, but uh, at, at at a very high level, um, what our, what what the tech does is uses um, very well known academic white paper math, um, for example, Shamir's secret sharing, to break up your private key, encode it into multiple different shares, store those in different places, like for example. Uh, like a social login, Google, Facebook, even just email password, uh, a biometric, um, a password that you know or remember. Um, and then all, we also have the ability to guardian shares in, in, in uh, databases that are encrypted and that only you can access and, and unencrypt. Um, so it's it's a multi-sig, um, multi-sig off-chain non-custodial private key, <laughs> so many jargon words, that also is um, has MPC functionality. You can break up your shares into as many pieces as you want, and then you can change the minimum and maximum threshold. So if you want to make it really secure, for example, you could have like 10 out of 11 shares is required to unlock your private key, right? So that's that's kind of the, the, the strategy behind it. And then the actual implementation um, is, is something that we've worked on, you know, the last basically the last year uh, we've, we've been working on this thing and it runs natively on, on a mobile app so that your private key it never crosses over the internet. We don't cache it anywhere. It never goes to our servers. It never gets written to your phone. It never gets written to like, you know, Chrome's uh, secure enclave. Your private key, it only exists theoretically, like mathematically, until you bring all these shards together, recompose it, sign a transaction, and then poof, it's gone again. Interesting. So I guess what would it take for someone to completely lose access to their assets in, you know, using the Giddy wallet. Um, I, I guess, so what you're saying is like, without, without giving hackers like a step-by-step, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically it's N of M shares, right? So if you, uh, had like three of five, for example, and you were to like 
blow away or lose lose your physical phone lose your actual face lose your google <laughs> account like and and you know your facebook account then well okay now you're out of luck but you know it, we we try to make it smart and go go about it the right way where okay like the likelihood of somebody losing all four of those things is kind of low so that's kind of where yeah, you you would have to lose your google account and your physical phone you'd have to forget your password um, basically, is if there was if there was only one share left, you couldn't recover. But that that's the whole point behind what we built is that uh, you have the option or the, the the ability to add more recovery shares, and then and then allow other people or institutions to guardian them for you. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely a lot. Easier. I mean, more secure than just writing your seed phrase down on a piece of paper and locking it up which, which is where this then, started is where this started yeah. so many people would like email me the seed phrase or like text it to their friend you know it's just it's just it's uh it's wild that a lot of people just don't really quite grasp the gravity of that seed phrase of that private key um and and, and the rest of the traditional finance you know there, there's there's always ways to recover there, there's, there's you're gonna have records with a bank somewhere but in self-custody DeFi, yeah that's that's it you are the custodian yeah and so you know you're seeing some non-custodial wallets wallets pop up part of the reason is because you know the whole GameStop thing with robin hood i i can't trade oh no and then with celsius i can't pull my money out oh no so the, this custodian thing is coming up over and over again and and like you know coinbase has a non-custodial wallet robin hood has one in beta there's a few non-custodial solutions out there but so far they all have a seed phrase and you know imho that's it's quite limited your audience is very limited if you're going to do only seed phrase it's it's not ready for mainstream yeah i i absolutely agree because i i was talking to a, a friend who's working on a project and they were talking to a vc about you know getting vc funds and then sending the tokens to the vc and they said that you know when they asked for the address the vc started reading off uh the words to their seat phrase and, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and uh after two words they go stop please god stop. <laughs> no more <laughs> Yeah, that, there's so many stories like that. It's it's uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of pent up demand. I think for what what you know the blockchain decentralized finance has to offer, but there's so much education still that needs to happen. And um, honestly, I just I just don't really. I think it's too tall of a task to educate the world on how to be that you know crypto expert. Uh, there, there has to be other ways, which is which which is yeah, which is exactly why we approached it the way that we did. Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely consider myself, especially in the bear market, a UX UI maxi. And yeah. I, I love it when I hear stuff like this, because this is really how we scale to the next, I guess, yeah, y'all say the next 10 million users on your website. So this is how we do that. But like, what else do y'all see? Like, what else does crypto need to do in order to scale over the next five to 10 years to that next 10 million users? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, first and foremost, you have to address custodianship and then it's like private key stuff. So the, the our private key solution is the first big thing that we built. And then next um, we addressed gas fees, um, another ma- massive UX problem. If you're on one particular chain like Avalanche or whatever, and you run out of the governance token for Avalanche, you got to on ramp more money. And then likewise, if you're on uh, ETH mainnet or if you're on Polygon or whatever, each of these have their own governance token and you have to maintain uh, a, a bunch of gas fees to cover at least, you know, five or 10 transactions at all times. So we, that, that was kind of our second like major innov- innovation is uh, abstracting away the need to hold a governance token for each chain that you're transacting on. And, and that's, that's live. That's, that's built. That's uh, using some, uh, uh, EIPs that Open Zeppelin developed, uh, something called the Gas Station Network. Uh, it's actually been implemented for a little while. We we did our own version. We have our own nodes. We we needed to make sure it was like fast and responsive and you know uh, maintainable. But um, yeah, it's it's this ability to to do blockchain transactions without having to worry about owning that gas token. Uh, another thing that we did was um, sol- we solved the problem of uh, infinite approvals. So. If, if you have approvals, you know, if, if you're going to go interact with a smart contract, you have to give it an allowance to spend. And usually it's infinite because it's really annoying to go do an approval, uh, close the allowance and then uh, and, uh, you know, 
actually do the staking. It's like three full transactions. So if you're savvy, you can go close those allowances or those approvals, but there's just a lot of people out there with open approvals. And we personally know people who have lost a lot of money to, you know, approval front running and these kind of approval bugs. So we uh, we built in meta transactions into our native token, and that's what powers uh, this this one tap staking on, on our platform. So our users don't have to hold the native gas token; they don't have to worry about the approval. They tap one button, and the smart contract does the approval for the correct amount. It expires that approval on the next block. Uh, it sends up so so you can pay for your transaction in, for example, USDC, um, and then the, the smart contract swaps and stakes into this into a, a yield optimizer that'll automatically recompound your your, your rewards for better yield. Um, anyway, all, all of these things it, it really goes back to user experience. So so the question is, you know, what do we need to scale? crypto and blockchain over the next five or 10 years, it's all about user experience. And people are just going to expect that the the app that they use is a one-stop thing. It's going to have everything I need. I don't need to worry about doing all this stuff. And we're, we're at the point now where just as a regular consumer, you get into an app, you log in, you swipe a credit card, you push a button, and you expect magic. And... Um, Honestly, it's it's to the point now where our product really is that it offers this basically three step thing to get staked and to start earning yield on the blockchain. So another thing that I, I get kind of excited about is like this five to ten year thing. What 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 happens? There has to be real use cases for for blockchain for crypto. Your your Web three identity it needs to be able to do things for you that make your life easier or cheaper. It unlocks new opportunities. So there, there's different things you can do with that. Obviously, like there's a lot of conversations in the NFT space. For example, um, events tickets. Like You can do these collectible things where your, your event ticket is the NFT, like it would totally potentially anyway, you could get around some of these uh, scalper problems, right? Where all these tickets are massively expensive. Um, there, there's this notion of like government issued IDs on the blockchain, or you can, you can have like a trusted source of some, some document and send it to your wallet in a, in a way that is soul bound, but still dynamic and, and from a trusted issuer. Um, I, all this to say that utility, like real uses, um, use cases for, for blockchain tech, we, we need more of that before we really, really scale. But the problem is, it's kind of this chicken and egg thing. Who are you building a utility for, right? If nobody has access to the blockchain, if, if the vast majority of people can't really manage their own private key, how do you know who to, who to you know, build for? Um, for example, if you want to do like whatever, your driver's license on the blockchain, and if the vast majority of people in your state can't access the blockchain, why in the world would you spend time doing it? So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about our wallet because I, I believe it can solve that, that problem, like you know, the, the, the last mile problem, getting the power and uh, you know, the vastness of blockchain infrastructure into people's hands. You really have to have a good wallet system uh, to, to do that. So I think it, you know, ease of use, utility, use cases, all these things are super important. And it all starts with the fundamental tech and the user experience. Yeah, I think I think that's really easy. And I, I kind of want to dig in a little bit on something that you, you talked about where you said that, you know, it, you approve the permissions to access the the asset in the wallet, and then you revoke that access on the next block. Would that not get expensive on something like Ethereum? Like on Polygon, it's it's probably not a big deal. But are, are, are y'all extracting away that, that gas? And I, I think you talked about that as well. Um, so there, there definitely are some savings in overhead. Um, the actual operations, the fundamental operations, they still, uh, they still have to be done. Um, it does cost a little bit of gas, but you, so, so you save a little bit in overhead. It does, it does make it a little bit cheaper, but honestly, to me, the bigger, the bigger win is, is the user experience. You get the, the ma- maximum amount of safety for just one interaction. So, um, yeah, on, on ETH mainnet, obviously things are going to be more expensive. Um, at the moment, um, we're, we, we, we've deployed everything to Polygon, the Polygon network, because, uh, you know, fast transactions, it's cheap. Um, we can really, really scale up and, and get, we can get a little bit messy before we get, you know, you know, really, really, really cheap, uh, with, with all these gas fees. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's still the, the cost to pay to get your transaction done, but there are definitely some savings when you, when you bundle things up into a meta transaction. That's so, that's so interesting. That's such a great way to do it too. Love to hear that y'all are in Polygon. Obviously I knew that. Yeah. We're in the Polygon, Polygon all the way. <laughs> um, but which, uh, which DeFi protocols have y'all integrated with, uh, into your app on the Polygon network and how are y'all using them? 
Um, love it. So there, there's, there's kind of a couple things on this topic. Um, one of which is that we, so we're not like a broker or not like an investment advisor. We're not an RIA, right? Well, we're not taking people's money and running it for them. That's the whole point of being non-custodial. So we're, we're kind of walking this tightrope between, um, integrating with really good protocols versus giving them our full, you know, uh, endorsement. Like these are the, these are, these are the ones take this as a, as an investment advice. So what we do is, um, we have a lot of criteria that we go through and we audit each protocol based on, you know, how long have they been alive? What's their performance? What are their tokenomics? What does their team look like? How, what's the business structure? Is it a DAO? Is it a VC funded? Whatever. Um, so we take all these different things, all these different criteria. It's, it's more or less what I would do when I invested in a new, a new DeFi project. And we surface those into the app. So everybody who chooses to stake into a protocol, they have all the information that they need to make an informed decision. And because we're non-custodial, our users are are literally turning the key to put their money into this protocol. So it's this 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 relationship where we want to empower people with the knowledge and the means to get staked into DeFi, but not like force you down this one very specific path. So all that being said, we are currently working on a lot more integrations, but we have um, Ave, Curve, uh, Balancer, um, I'm probably missing a couple. Uh, quick, quick, quick Swap is on there, yeah. you know, Sushi is on there. Um, pretty much the, 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 the big protocols with a lot of liquidity, with a lot of history the, who have been audited and, you know, kind of been through it. And, and even then, one thing we're doing is, uh, I guess you could compare it a little bit to Robinhood, is we're offering up third-party information on some of these pools to say, like, look, like this is what other people think about it. This is not our opinion. Um, here's their website. Here's some general information. Do your own research, just just like Eric was saying. So we, we are not putting our stamp of approval on any of these um, protocols, but... Uh, you know, because we have to start somewhere, we might as well start with the most reputable ones. Whereas maybe you know some other non-custodial apps, you're literally just high and dry. You have no idea what's what if you're new to DeFi, and you're just going to find the first thing that comes up, and it may or may not be a rug. So uh, there's there's kind of a balance to strike. So when we 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 sort of. Um stumbled across this notion of real yield before it kind of became popular on crypto Twitter, you know, um, we really focus on protocols where you are sharing in revenue that they generate. So providing liquidity to a DEX is a really good one. Lending protocols like Aave, it's a really good one. Curve and Balancer, we like those, we like those a lot. Um, so because we have to integrate, you know, basically one-to-one -one with these, with these protocols, we're avoiding the ones that are, that we think are going to be a flash in the pan. They're going to be highly, uh, inflationary. So even though their their yield is really enticing, you know, go get eight hundred percent or whatever. We want to avoid those because the the you know the, the market share, the users that we want to bring in are not hardened DGENs who understand the risk and can can afford it. We we want to we want to offer people as, as much as we can stable, well backed, high liquidity yield on on well known protocols. And we're, and we're kind of like uh, at least offering the basic information of like, hey, this is a stable coin. This is not a stable coin. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a LP pair. It's two different cryptocurrencies smushed together that offers this yield. So we're offering kind of basic information and inviting everyone to learn more and, and do their own research. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. And uh, you also mentioned something in regards to like one tap staking for the networks as well. Uh, have you all integrated that yet? And how do you plan on integrating that? And how does that work? Maybe even like on a smart contract level, I'd be interested to hear. Sure. So it's, it's all based around meta transactions. So um, uh, I don't know how and Louise we, we, we want to get on this necessarily, but for, for the most part in ERC-20 um, contracts, there, there's this notion of the, the, the sender uh, and, and the receiver. And a lot, of, a lot of what happens on the receiver side is based on the, the sender address, right? Um, you can't really do a lot of really interesting operations if you're if you're if you're locked down to that level. Um, so what meta transactions allow us to do is bundle in a bunch of information into a transaction. It, one of those things being this all important, really crucial sender, and then and then do multiple operations with it. So that's that's a, that's a very <laughs> a very brief, very rough cut rundown of how meta transactions work and kind of why they're interesting. It's it's this simple 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 notion that everything turns on, but they empower a lot of a lot of amazing. things things. Um, what, what it means for us is that when our users go, you, you download the app, you, you know, either send yourself crypto or on ramp with some fiat, whatever. So you have some money that you want to spend. Let's say you, you like Ave and you want to go earn 5%. So as soon as, as soon as the user finds a 
protocol they like, the input, whatever, I want to put in 50 bucks. And then they, they swipe, they swipe this button that says, I want to stake. So what happens at that point is we use our, our private key, uh, management, you know, we, basically Shamir's secret sharing to recompose your private key. Um, we have a transaction that's ready to go that we sign with your private key and then poof, your private key, private key goes away. What that transaction is, um, it will, will send up, for example, USDC to the protocol. Um, this meta transaction gets, gets opened up on the other side on the receiving end. The smart contract um, knows who's sending it. Um, it knows, uh, you know, what protocol it's supposed to go to. It knows what token to swap it into knows how to stake it and then every single one of these things is signed by um by by the sender by by their uh, by their private key so that on the on the receiving end there's no notion of like front running or injecting bad information or whatever um we, we made sure that it was secure on that level um so basically i, I guess that at a high level what meta transactions allow us to do is perform multiple complicated well not complicated but Multiple, tr multiple different transactions that normally would would require, um, you know, multiple discrete transactions, but we can do it all at once because we can use your identity uh, multiple times in in on the execution side of the smart contract. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how much all that <laughs> made sense. I'm I'm struggling internally how deep I want to get into this. I, it's a continuing thing. It's like a software developer. It's like, well, I I know all these details, but I don't know uh, who else does. But uh, anyway, it's just it. What's exciting about it is that we can do multiple steps that normally take m multiple transactions, but we can do it at once. Save a little bit of money on gas on the overhead, and. And the real, real key here is that for the user, what you experience is you, you tap one button, or in our case, you slide something in the app, and it does all of this for you, and, and it's fast. It happens immediately, it gets, it gets committed to the chain, and you're, and you're off to the races. Oh yeah, I, I do. I think meta transactions are like truly fascinating, and we do have a lot of developers that listen to this podcast as well. So uh, we try to like we try to like hit all the levels, right? So totally, I, totally. I think, yeah, I yeah. think you're doing great. And so when you're auto compounding the rewards, uh, is that also in like a meta transaction? That's that's just uh, your typical yield optimizer. So I don't know if you're familiar with like Auto Farm or Beefy. Shout out to them. Love Beefy. Yeah, Beefy team is amazing. Um, there, there's a handful of different protocols out there who's the, the product that they offer is they'll receive your rewards and automatically restake them so that your yield is higher. Um, so on that, on that part, it's, it's a pretty typical smart contract that just auto compounds rewards. Um, the, the really, really, really cool stuff is in the meta transactions and how we stake and unstake. Yeah, that's uh, and so, so ha have you integrated that staking like for, for the Matic network? Or yeah, for the yeah, what's network? really cool is uh, every last thing we've talked about is our, is live in your hand right now. In fact, we just onboarded a whole bunch more private beta users uh, today. So we've got, yeah, a nice chunk of people using the Giddy app every single day. And what's, what's crazy is with the one swipe staking thing, yeah, like Eric was saying, there's like a ton of stuff happening there's there's private key stuff there's you know uh gas and approval yeah, approvals uh gas amount this we like to call it like a portcullis like the whole castle gate thingy like opens approves for the right amount closes the door behind you so you're not uh, infinitely approved as it were uh, as with most of your stuff happening on metamask so the, it's just it's just really cool and it and it works and it's live and it's kind of a miracle when you experience it for the first time honestly if you've done DeFi the hard way like I guess most of this listener group ha has it, it's funny we we get this question sometimes when when people get into the app and experience it and they're just like so this is this is custodial right and we're like no it's it's non custodial and they're just like I don't but but you staked and you did the thing and the what and that was that was the, always the vision from the beginning like being a hardcore DeFi guy myself. I knew that we needed to accomplish every single step that you take in, in this 15 step process with MetaMask and on ramps or whatever. We had to literally do all of those and commit them to the blockchain for real um, because that's how we get away from all these different risks of being custodial and it's how you really keep control of your money. Um, it's also how, as a business, we are able to, to do what we do. Our, our users, they don't have to be uh, um, What's the word I said earlier? Rich, accredited, <laughs> accredited investors, um, because we're not we're not spending money on their behalf. Like our users are not taking any risks that we haven't spelled out for them very plainly. You're, you are interacting directly with the blockchain with our app, and it's just it's just a uh, a lot of tech that we've 
a lot of uh, time and, and brain power that we've poured into making that experience possible. Yeah, just think about sending an email in like, I don't know, 1987. I, I think it was possible, technically, if you knew the IP address and you typed it in and all this crazy stuff, built your own modem and whatever, versus like, you know, 1997 and you had like Netscape browser and you navigated to Yahoo and you were using Yahoo Mail. So we, I like to think of this, another kind of like tech comparison I like to make is like Netscape. There's the, there's there's AOL, which is like very walled garden. You know, this is this thing on the internet. This is that thing. And we made the content. But Netscape is just literally a tool for you to experience the internet at large. And as we onboard more and more protocols and, and more and more blockchains, and there's numerous, numerous staking opportunities across, you know, half a dozen to a dozen chains or whatever, um, will be more of a Netscape where you can really kind of go anywhere and do anything on the blockchain, hold NFTs, view NFTs, exchange them, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of grow into that role. But I, I like that. I like that analogy in that we're, we're just a technology to access something that's otherwise nearly impossible to interact with. Yeah, I think you're making a lot of good points, too. And a lot of these points are resonating with me, especially on the custodial, non-custodial part, because I did have friends in the recent bull run that had uh, money in Voyager and I advised against it. Um, I don't give financial advice, but I, I do try to call the shots as I see them from time to time to help out a friend. And I think, yeah, th there was a, definitely a big misconception during the bull run where people thought that Celsius was... Um, DeFi or Voyagers DeFi and and they're not and when it comes down to it like Binance and Coinbase like those aren't DeFi either like those are those are entities that hold your assets for you and if they go under so do your assets and they ultimately have a say in when you get those assets and what you can do with them but in DeFi uh, the power is in the hands of the user and you do have that self sovereignty. And, um, yeah, I don't know if, if you also want to elaborate in general on just the importance of non-custodial wallets and like users having that self-sovereignty yeah. and what that really let's, means. Let's talk about the numbers for a second. Um, you mentioned Coinbase. They, and they, they might've updated this since they rolled out some of their proof of stake, but for a long time they offered a Ethereum, Ethereum staking service, right? They, they locked it up. They were just like, whenever ETH mainnet goes proof of stake, we'll do something about it. But their terms of service, it says that they charge a 25% flat fee upon withdrawal. What that means is like, even if you didn't make any money, they're just going to take 25%. But it also means they could end up taking a lot more than 25% if your money has grown like crazy over some amount of time. Um, it's crazy. It's wild to me that we were in a place when they wrote those terms that this really wasn't even available. It wasn't even a product. It's like, you don't even have anything to compare this to. So sure, uh, let's just take 25% when people withdraw. So just looking at it from the numbers, if you give your money to a custodian and let them just kind of play around with it, they have the upside and you don't like, let's, you know, you can talk about it in terms of traditional finance, in terms of regular banking, you give your money to a bank to keep track of. And you know, it's, it's FDIC insured. <laughs> Good luck, I guess, uh, making a, a claim with that, but, um, they immediately will lend that money out they'll they'll make a bunch of money off of it and then give you back whatever the whatever the lending rate rate is for the government right you'll 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 earn some tiny fraction of a percentage on 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 your dollars when they're out there earning you know 12 or 18 percent like pretty good stuff depending on the market obviously so even just based on incentives even just based on numbers and money only if you have the capability of being your own custodian of your funds you have all of the upside. So that that's what that's one of the things that really, I think it's why DeFi captured me, my imagination so much was once I got rugged, <laughs> my first ever like losing three BNB, I was just like, man, this is completely and solely up to me and nobody else. And it was it was so freeing. It's, it's this weird, um, we, we, we've noticed this a lot too. When, when we explain to people, um, with, with the DeFi app, it's non-custodial. You take all the risk, you'd make all the decisions and they're just like, wait, is my money safe? And it's like, no, it, it's always at risk. And it's like, well, is it backed up by anything? It's like, no, it's, it's always at risk. And they're like, well, but I get to choose. Yes, you get to choose. Um, there's something that unlocks, at least in my experience. And I've seen this in other people where it's like, I want nothing more than to have control. I'm so tired of other people taking risks with my money. They don't tell me about and, and receiving all the upside and giving me back some tiny amount. So that's that's uh 
and it's kind of a different topic, but you know, how we end up ended up monetizing our company, how we make money is like fractions of transactions, right? We're not, we're not going to go take 80% of your yield. We're going to say, no, this is like 0.1% or something to stake. Um, we will obviously like a fiat fiat rails. will will that, that, that's something that is uh, obviously a revenue source or whatever. Yeah. We have, but, um, we have less control over fiat rails. Um, for for a lot of reasons, but yeah, the stuff that we else. do have control over in DeFi land, what you'll what you'll find is our fees are just going to be less than than what's out there in the market because we're so vertically integrated. We've got like six revenue sources, whereas everybody else has one, maybe two. And I, so, and, and for me, I guess on on like the highest level, kind of most macro, I, at least I, I feel like that's kind of part of your question. Like, what are some kind of macro thoughts, right? Um, for, for me, like one of the most macro things about what, what we're doing or what's happening right now, what, regardless of, of whether we crack it first or not, is the democratization of, of uh, liquidity providing, which um, kind of big, weird, fancy words kind of go over most people's head. But, but you know, when, when like farming was democratized, when like transportation was democratized, these are really big inflection points in society. And like finally information was democratized. That was like, you know, the web boom and, and then like social stuff, mobile. And, and so I think, I think we're to a point now in just society at large when, uh, First off, liquidity providing is not something that most people think about every day. <laughs> like, let's provide liquidity to an exchange. Like, how exciting is that? It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, but I think that that is what DeFi is, is actually being able to take advantage or, you know, capture the true value of your money and where it sits and, and when. I think that's going to be a, a huge inflection point. And we're just we're just barely scratching the surface. I mean, what we're like barely 10% of America owns any crypto at all custodial and non-custodial is like less than 1%. And you talk about on the, at the world at large, you're like, yeah, let there's tiny, tiny percentages of the population are exposed to crypto. And I think when we make that easier and when, when people are exposed to the power of the democratization of liquidity providing, I think we're going to see just, uh, just an explosion in usage and excitement over the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I was just kind of thinking like when I first got into crypto, like in 2017, and I bought my first little bit of Bitcoin on Coinbase. And I was like, Oh, yeah, this is it. I'm I'm into crypto now. And I really didn't understand until I got a, you know, a ledger. I got a ledger like pretty early. Because um, I, I had someone who told me I needed to get one, even though I had like, right, $100 with the Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and then like, I, I remember sending a transaction from myself to another wallet that I had from myself to myself and thinking, this is amazing that this actually works. Um, and yeah, and, and I love just like, and like, if you have a ledger, like it's, it's, it's so like cypherpunk and like clunky and like difficult to use sometimes and a little bit annoying because as I'm getting older, I've got to squint to make sure that the numbers I'm typing in are correct. <laughs> when you have to use Wallet Connect and and uh, it's right. if you're going to yeah. do DeFi with with a ledger holding your private key, yeah, you can do it. There's definitely up, upside, but I think the vast majority of people aren't going to be able to do DeFi with a ledger or or you know self custody. Obviously, difficult. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, when I when I download apps like Giddy and I just think, man, like this is so much easier than what I was doing four or five years ago. And it, it's, it's amazing. And something else I, I want to ask you all about is when I did sign up um, for the beta, I got some Giddy coin. Um, so do you want to talk about that? Like what's going on with Giddy, the token and what, what like future utility do you foresee with that? Yeah, I love it. So um, a little the, bit of the well, the, the the utility is a is a now utility. <laughs> <laughs> True, um, and we, there's there's a light paper out there that we invite um, anybody curious to, to please go read. Um, Coinlaunch.giddy.co was uh, something that we released back in April, um, and that, so the the link to the light paper is is right there. But my, my favorite thing to say to investors and customers and everybody is as the Giddy Coin is infrastructure. Yeah. Um, all these this discussion we've been having about meta transactions, we realized really early that we needed to make that a reality. We needed to use make a meta transaction, um, basically write our own EIP. Right? We needed to have a, a standard interface for these transactions that tokens and smart contracts can communicate over. But there wasn't a token already that had it, so we had to make our own. And we're like, okay, how do we deploy this thing? And the best answer was make our own token. 
So we started from this this user experience thing. We want this one tap staking with meta transactions, with a gas station network, with approvals. How do we do that? Let's put it into a token. And as soon as you start, <coughs> excuse me, as soon as you start t talking to a legal team about launching a token, it gets hairy fast. And for good reason, we don't have all the rules like the, the government won't tell us exactly how to do this correctly. All they're doing is enforcing old laws and and kind of picking and choosing what's what's battles and fights. So knowing that launching a token is difficult, we set out to make it as simple, as plain as possible, practically no tokenomics. So that it's a fixed supply. It's a, you know, a capped supply. We can't mint or burn the token. Um, it's on the Polygon chain, um, and the, the the purpose that the token, the, the the reason the token exists, the purpose behind it is to empower one tap staking in the app with this, via meta transactions. The way that we deployed that code to the blockchain is via this token, um, and then so after that we kind of figured out how to make that that tech work with the usdc token as well we had to do some some interesting things to figure out the, the guts of that smart contract but we did it and now in the app you can stake with a giddy or with a stable coin and um, use those as an input to any smart contract out there so the giddy token is on the polygon network right now um it's only on this on sushi swap we're, we're planning on adding more liquidity elsewhere it's just it hasn't really been a high priority because the the token is not we're not using it to capitalize the company we didn't even do an investor distribution with this token we just we we launched it put it on this dap we said we sort of did this hybrid staking dap um do you do you remember the ox dao uh when they, they they brought on another dao and they had this like limited staking to get this new token i don't know if that rings a bell or not but um, we, we kind of we kind of did a, a hybrid version of that where over over a 12 year period you can oh, a month uh, 12 months, not 12 yeah. years. <laughs> Over a 12 month period, you can stake, you know, ETH or Bitcoin or USDC or, or Giddy and receive free Giddy tokens. So like we, we, we were faced with this problem of how do you get a token on the blockchain that is not a pump and dump. It's not crazy uh, tokenomics. It's, it's accessible to everybody. And its main purpose is to drive one tap staking in the app. It's a tough problem. We worked with the legal team the entire time on it, but th and this is where we ended up, is this token that after the uh, staking period is done, it'll be a cap supply. Uh, its whole purpose is that you can use it to interact with smart contracts in the app. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's something that is it's interesting. It's definitely going to be part of the platform. Um, some of its utility is staking. Some of it is... You know, you, you can provide liquidity to the Giddy LP to earn some fees, um, but it's meant to be kind of part of the infrastructure, like Ethan said. Sort of, a, it's it's like one of the supporting players of this broader vision of bringing DeFi to everybody. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me. And yeah, like I'm just, I feel like we've got this huge issue in the DeFi space from an adoption standpoint, and it's and I've said this a lot on the podcast already, but it's UI UX, and it feels like y'all are y'all are solving that, and. Yeah, I, I just think that also the name Giddy for the token is just, I just love the name Giddy. So big fan. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's stuck with us too. So maybe just, we've got like seven more minutes, uh, but I, something I just wanted to touch on because um, Eric, you and I were kind of talking about this in a private chat was just like, you know, just recent news and, and things that have been going on uh, related to regulatory issues thinking about like privacy and tornado cash and then like KYC AML. Um, what are y'all's thoughts on that in general? And like, how are y'all navigating those waters and complying with, with those regulations? And, and also just like what type of regulations does a non-custodial wallet even have to do? Well, yeah. Huge can of worms, huge can of worms. Um, and not in a bad way. I'm just saying there's there's about 10 different things you just said that I want to comment on. So <laughs> here we go. Um, it, I, I think that this whole topic of how do we scale the blockchain, how to get more users, the user experience has to be very good. And if we're going to get regular people into the blockchain, you have to meet them where they're at. And for the most part, what that means is that people are going to expect an app to just do everything. So we're merging two interesting worlds here of totally non-custodial DeFi and fiat on-ramps. And that's, that's, where, that's where I think ideologically most crypto users start to have a lot of heartburn. So they, they really butt heads because on the blockchain, you can basically be, uh, I like to call it like pseudo anonymous. At the end of the day, 
if the government wants to find out who you are, they'll find you. <laughs> like there's no, there's no real actual hiding. If you're doing something bad or if they want you, they'll get you. So it's like living in the real world. You have to realize that at some point, um, you, you're not going to be anonymous to the government, but there's a high, high level of privacy that's to be expected. Like I don't necessarily want let, let, let's say, let's say that some website comes out for e-commerce and I want to go buy a t-shirt. I don't really want that site to know all of my purchase history, right? They're going to know all of the things I like to eat and wear and do that. That sucks. Like we're trying to get away from this web two world where all your data is not yours and it's being sold and it's, it's, it doesn't taste good, right? It doesn't feel very good going down. So, um, so, so you have this Web3 world where native crypto users are used to this level of privacy. Um, and then you have the rest of traditional finance where at the moment where the rubber meets the road most of the time is fiat on and off ramps. If you want crypto to be useful, you have to be able to get it in and out of your bank account to pay for stuff, right? And I think there's soon, I think, there's going to be more payment rails where you can, you can pay for things natively in crypto. I'm really looking forward to that because I think the Giddy app is going to have a big part in that and just it's ease of use. But we have this traditional finance uh, arena that is highly, highly regulated. And I think there's a lot to be said about the reasons why, and there's some good things and some bad things. But um, in our app, we wanted everybody, all of our users to be able to do everything natively in the mobile app. So the DeFi stuff and the Fiat stuff. So the way that we've approached it is we're going to comply with the rules that we need to comply with when we need to comply with them. For the most part, it's fiat. So in our app, if you wanted to do a native, uh, a fiat on-ramp, at that point in time, you'd have to do some KYC stuff with whatever bank is dealing with it. But the rest of it, everything else is not KYC'd or identity verified. Um, if you want to just do staking, if you want to just send yourself crypto or send it back out, you don't have to do any kind of like document upload or face scan or whatever. But if you're going to interact with with Fiat Rails on our platform, that does require some identity verification. So um, it's it's really this this uh, kind of an ideological battle, I think, that is not helped by not having a lot of clarity from the government on like how to even classify all these assets and who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. Um, I think that, and I, this isn't precisely exactly the question, but in my mind, the role that regulation plays is, is in, in crypto is similar to, like in regular traditional finance, if you see a credit card ad and it's like, whatever, 0% for the rest of your life and you can spend as infinity money with us and, and nothing bad will ever happen, we swear. You see that and it smells fishy, you're just like, okay, that's clearly a scam. Or like a bank, you know, you, you can tell who's legit and who's not. A lot of this is because of regulation. There's rules about advertising, there's rules about um, how, to, how to like go about branding and stuff. Well, yeah, like anytime, <laughs> so in my accounting degree, one of my first classes, a professor was like, you know, here at here at BYU Accounting, we don't walk away from guaranteed high returns. We run. <laughs> yeah. You know, and when you see like you know Celsius, quote unquote, was guaranteeing eight percent. That's kind of high to guarantee. And there's other apps out there that are like, oh, sixteen percent on a stable coin, twelve percent on a stable coin, guaranteed. It's like ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. And so like, you you just won't find that at Giddy. It's like no, this is the blockchain. You make your own decisions. Um, it's it's up to you, cowboy or cowgirl or who whoever to make the, the, you know, to make the decisions. So, so where, where we land, it, it's a really interesting combination of all this because the actual DeFi tech is non-custodial. We literally cannot stop you from doing what you're going to do. Um, where, where the government starts to care is when it crosses over into fiat land. Um, we, we do have to comply with the fiat side of it, but um, as much as we possibly can, we want to stay true to the idea, the philosophy, and the ethos of what it means to, to move onto the blockchain to have decentralized technology. Um, so it's, it's an interesting battle. We found ourselves smack in the middle of it, <laughs> spending a lot more time and resources on the legal side of it over the last year than we probably would have expected. But um, we are trying to navigate it in a way that is safe, it's cheap, it's easy, it's scalable. And again, this all goes back to, to what drives us is the core user experience. I think if we're gonna get the next 100 million people into DeFi, it just has to be easy. It has to be kind of a no-brainer. And um, we also need to be responsible with how we develop this tech and, and what we choose to you know, comply with. But um, I, just, I view it as, as a matter of practicality. 
uh, if you're going to you know build a business that's healthy and is safe for people to to put their money in, um, you just you have to find a balance between those those two worlds. So uh, anyway, I think there's <laughs> there's so many things to be said on this topic, but for the most part, what we found is that dealing with fiat sucks. There's so many rules and regulations, and and but but the good news is we've we've really really leveled up as a company. Um, our CFO Dave Lemke he joined us from Pricewaterhouse Coopers, so he's he's a CPA. He was a senior direct, senior director there, and he's also our chief of compliance now. And uh, he and I work uh, a lot. <laughs> we spend most of our days dealing with these issues. But what it, what it means is, as a company, now we we we're, we're able to show everyone else, Google and Facebook and whoever. That, that we are trustworthy, that we can play, that we're, we're compliant in these ways that, that uh, we're, we're required to so that we can, can can grow the business and continue to provide these services. Anyway, yeah, like I said, big topic. There's a couple things I wanted to comment on that I can't think of right now, but it's, 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 an, interesting, it's an interesting hybrid you know, approach. It really is. Yeah. And it, a little unfortunate that we're running out on time right now because I, I could probably dig into the regulatory side uh, for another 30 minutes, but we, yeah. we don't have time for that. So uh, before, before we head out, I just want to say, you know, is there, is there anything that maybe we didn't touch on specifically that y'all just want to make sure to uh, address right now before we head out? Um, get the app. <laughs> I think we've said that before, but um, we just barely ended our private beta, which was an invite only kick the tires, kind of try to scale the thing a little bit. We're moving into our open beta really, really soon, which is we're going to take we're going to take everybody off the wait list that's currently on the wait list um, and and really let people start doing this this DeFi their own way. So there's there's referral programs. You'll, you'll get free crypto for referring your friends. Uh, there's loyalty stuff. You'll get f- cheaper fees in the app for engaging and everything. But um, we're we're ready to rock and roll. Um, it's not going to not very many more weeks before we really start to scale this thing and we're just i'm really 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 excited to get more people on the platform because i'm i'm such a junkie for product and for user experience i want to get all the feedback i can so we can make it precisely what people are looking for uh in in easy retail crypto for grandma yeah so you'll find us at giddy.co or just search giddy in the apple app store or on google play awesome awesome yeah we definitely covered a lot today uh self-custody meta transactions regulations, recoverable wallets, UI UX. And uh, yeah, this has been really great, guys. I I really appreciate y'all coming on. And uh, for those of you listening and watching, thank you for listening and watching. Uh, Spotify, Substack, Apple, subscribe. And on YouTube, on Polygon TV, subscribe there as well. Uh, Eric and Ethan, really appreciate y'all coming on. And I'll catch y'all next time. Thank Thank you so much. We're huge fans of Polygon. Polygon all the way. Thank you. Thank you. Go Polygon. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks. See ya. Giddy up.